Oh, no, let it snow. Sherry's a let it snow. Are you a let it snow? I think you, Deborah, you're outnumbered. <laughs> well, the weather does not come by democracy, though. We know that. It's theocracy entirely. <laughs> oh, he's in Florida, right? And so are you getting a little bit? That's, I know. Why hang up? <laughs> Don't let him do you that way. <laughs> okay, so we'll get started today. There are donuts in the back. I encourage you to eat them all because I can't have sugar. Yeah, we don't want them anymore. Take them. So, um, also, just a, just a bit of praise. I just ran some numbers. I was wondering, now Mike, he'll say this this morning too, but I'll tell you again. But this past year of lockdown, COVID, you know, you hadn't been in a cellar all year. So what we, you know, we have been able through your generous contributions and just the love of reaching out to community, we have assisted, given out $15,000 in relief assistance. We have also, through our partnership with the North Texas Food Bank, we have serviced how many individuals with food? Uh, six events, roughly 2,000 uh, Seven or 8,000 individuals supplying them with food. So even in the midst of trying times, we're still using it as an opportunity to reach out and to display the love of the Lord. And, you know, when you see, when you're doing... Um, the distribution, you find out that the need is great and it reaches into all segments of society. And so we are blessed to be able to do that. This morning as we open up, we give praise for that. And does anybody have any prayer requests? Yes. Wow, that is a prayer. It's a praise report and a prayer request, isn't it? We'll know next week what you need more, prayer or praise, right? <laughs> We will. We'll be praying for you. I'm glad that the Lord's calling teachers still. Yes. Ex-daughter-in-law, COVID, we need to pray for them. Okay, and has grandbabies. Okay. Who else? Anybody else? Yes. Dolores. He was after you. <laughs> For your safety. Yes. Anybody else? Oh, God, praise report. Okay. Linda Murphy. She is. Yes, Jacqueline Alejandro has COVID with an autoimmune issue, so we need to pray for her. Linda Murphy has COVID and a UTI, and um, they're waiting to bury her deceased husband. They've had to wait because <clears throat> of COVID. So, so reading their Bible. So, well, praise the Lord. So, before them coming here, they weren't they weren't people who were in the Lord, and well, wow, that's great. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. That happens, that happens a lot. When people start moving into a relationship with the Lord, all hell break, breaks loose, and sometimes from unexpected areas. So I've seen people before be healed, and families attack them because they were healed. There are many times that people like people in certain conditions, and they don't like them in other conditions. That's it. I saw back here. Yes. He needs, he needs the Lord to subdue him. Okay, we'll pray for that. Oh, yeah. A new grandbaby. That's right, yeah. Little girl, right? Is it a little girl, right? Okay. I didn't. <clears throat> a big little girl. <clears throat> some people want to see snow, some don't. Lord, you choose your side. That's right. <laughs> huh? You so- That's right. I <laughs> see all you want, right? Let's pray before we, this, this disintegrates into a, 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 an argument. <clears throat> Lord, we thank you. We ask you, Lord God, that you would move in every, every mentioned need, Lord. We lift up those who are, who are sick in their body. Lord God, we, we ask that you would heal, Lord God. Those who are suffering with COVID, we ask that you would bring breath to their body. We, we lift up specifically Jacqueline today, Lord God, that you would restore her to health, Lord. We pray, Father, for all those in our, in our fellowship, Lord, that have had COVID and that are currently suffering with it. I pray, God, that you would touch them, that you would restore them. Lord, I pray, Father, for Linda Murphy, Lord, that you would comfort her in this time of loss and that you would heal her body, Lord. Let her know your nearness more than ever before. I pray, Lord, for this brother who suffers with anger, Lord. I ask that you would bring, Lord God, a calming effect in his life, Lord God, and that you would help him, Lord God, to see, God, how destructive anger and rage is. Lord, we pray, Father, for him, that you would give him revelation knowledge and to walk in peace and hope. Lord, we thank you today for your protection, for your grace, and for your mercy. We ask that you'd open our ears to hear, our heart to receive, and our eyes to see, Lord God. Give us, Lord God, the faith to walk in your word. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right. Now, <clears throat> I'm going to do, if I can get my voice clear. <clears throat> it's not COVID. Okay. It's allergies. That's right. We always say that, don't we? It's allergies. That's right. It is allergies. Cedar. We've got cedar. Belinda give it, has given me cedar. Okay. All right. So I want to, what I'm going to do this morning, because we're going to talk about a lot of things, and I want to make sure I get some word in. I'm just going to read a lot of word, and we're going to set it up that way. And then we're going to just take it down, okay? We're just going to move through. So I want to go to Ephesians first. And then I also want to go to Romans. And um, I want to go to Ephesians 3. I want to go to Romans 5. Mm. And perhaps I want to go to 1 Corinthians 13. But you don't have to turn there because you'll know it so well. I just don't want you to have to. I don't want to wear you out with all my, my turning. So, let's go to Ephesians 3. Now, we're going to talk about, we talked about last week, just by way of review. We talked about Peter, and we talked about his failing and how he misidentified himself. That Peter had made the mistake of identifying himself by his ability to love God. How many of you have ever done that? You, you identify yourself by how well you love God. And that's what he did. We walked through how he said, Peter, I'll, or Lord, I will die with you. There's no, I will die for you. No one's going to take me away from you. And then he, uh, Peter misidentified himself as courageous when in fact he was what? A coward. He, he misidentified himself and how the whole <clears throat> turnaround in Peter's life and how the Lord re-identified him 
not through Peter's ability to love, but through the Lord's ability to love Peter and that love to bring the identification of who he was. That he started out as a fisherman. The Lord said, you are a fisherman, but he just barely moved out of that a little bit and said, you're going to fish for men, right? And then when he completely restored him, he re-identified Peter as what? A shepherd, yeah. He, he totally took it and he said, you're going to feed my sheep, tend my lamb. You know, it's, it's all this shepherding language. And we see how the Lord can take us from where we're at and how we identify ourselves to a place of real, what we call self-actualization, where his love identifies us. And we're no longer trying to convince others of what, <clears throat> of what type of person we are. You know, true health in our, in our inner man is when we just are who we are without even having to think about who you expect me to be. Isn't that tiring? Do you, have you ever had to do that? Think about how others expect you to behave and try to behave according to their expectations? Now, that's, that's difficult. And maybe some, many of you now, like, I do that all the time. Oh, I want to submit to you, if you do that all the time, you need to... You need to ask the Lord to bring you through a place of healing because that's not the, the Lord's best for you. Because it's, it's very difficult to live under the expectations of others and to be thinking about what they're thinking. And then, you know, as Dennis said, what was it you said to me Wednesday night, Dennis, the quote? Stop thinking about what other people are not thinking about you. <laughs> Wouldn't that just be a great place to start right there? We could all have, because so many times I meet people, I mean, how many times people said, oh, if I offended you or if I did this, what they've done is they've been in your head, they've already played out a scenario that you're completely unaware of, and they're acting out the scenario that they think that, wow, it is so tiring. Yes, Tawana. Yes. How long ago was it? Wow. He had, you know what? <laughs> I'm not laughing at his suffering, but he had to really nurture that thing for a long time, didn't he? And you were totally unobli just oblivious to it. It was nothing even there. So that's a great example of what not to do in, in the situation. So I'm going to read here <clears throat> as talking about the love, the love knowing, knowing the love of God. And, and what, how that'll free us in our life. Let's read here Ephesians 4. I'm going to begin reading at verse 16. And this is Paul's prayer for the church at Ephesus, and he's, it's his prayer for us as well. It says, I pray that from his glorious riches, he would grant you to be strengthened in your inner being with the power of his spirit. Where's the spirit going to strengthen you? In your inner being. Many times in our life we have this idea that the Holy Spirit power is for what? <sighs> Out here, right? Blind eyes opening, deaf ears hearing, lame walking, dead raising. And that's all good. I, I, I love it. But so many times people are more apt to want that extra out here. They want the blind eye opening, deaf ear, And they're so inwardly sick and empty, and lost, and confused. And they oftentimes try to cover up <clears throat> that inward lack of strength with all this out here. 
but it's not real. And so when we look at Holy Ghost power strengthening, I would like for you to make the shift to the first order of business and the power where he wants to strengthen you is where? In your inner man. So as we move along there, let's see how this is going to be accomplished. Through the power of the Holy Spirit so that Messiah may dwell in your hearts through faith. I pray that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to grasp with all the saints what is the width and the length and the height and the depth and to know the love of Messiah which surpasses all knowledge so you may be filled up with the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far beyond all that we ask or imagine by means of his power that's in work within us. Now how many of you, <clears throat> me included, I have quoted that scripture. Now unto him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we could ask or think according to the power that is at work within us. We take that. What are the now unto him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we could ask or think? Where does your mind automatically lay that scripture? In heaven? And where else? I mean, what, what, are, what are the things that you believe for? The immeasurable, beyond all that you could ask or think. Are you not like me? Are you not putting it out there? What? Things. <clears throat> Power things, right? Oh, I'm going to have a worldwide ministry. I'm going to walk, but my shadow's going to heal this. That may be, that's all great. I'm not taking from that. Could be, it could be your dreams, the things that you want to accomplish. You want to see things accomplished. But where hermeneutically or in the interpretation of this scripture, what we just read, where is the place that his power is going to work to accomplish? The rooting and the grounding in the inner man. So is it fair to say that we maybe certainly in Pentecostal circles have been trying to reach for this, this mega faith and this extraordinary power to see the miracles of God done? And I'm all for that, right? Want it. Believe in it. But we have become so eroded and immature in our inner man. That we haven't sought for that place of inner strength where we're rooted and grounded in the love of God. And so we are trying to use the exploits in order to affirm our worth. Instead of having our worth affirmed in his love and the natural byproduct of that being inheritance of authority. So that's where we're going to go today. That's, that, that's in a nutshell what we're going to, I'm going to try to talk about if I can keep everything in order. And so I'm going to go now and I just want to read to you Romans 5, 5 and 5. And it says this, in hope, and hope does not disappoint because God's love has been poured out in our hearts through what? The Holy Spirit. Where is the love of God poured out? Would we say that's the inner man? 
There we are, back to the inner man. In our hearts, through the Holy Spirit who was given to us, for while we were yet, while we were still helpless, at the right time, Messiah died for the ungodly. For rarely were anyone die for a righteous man, though perhaps a good man, someone one, one might even dare die. But God demonstrates his own what toward us? Love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Messiah died for us. How much more then, having now been set right by his blood, shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? I have no appointment with wrath. I have no appointment with wrath. You know why? I made my appointment with the cross. See, is it okay to say that? Religion, fundamental religion has said, not cool. If you tell them, if you take away the wrath card, you'll never be able to control them. Yes. Absolutely. Absolutely. That shall not, that no part in the lake of, the, the, in heaven, they all have their part in the lake of fire. Right. Abs I didn't say, I did not say that there is no wrath. Absolutely. And I think, here's what I would like to, it is, those people are deformed in their inner man. The, the deformity of the inner man is a deformity of the message of the cross that has left us believing that we either have a God who is austere and full of wrath and is waiting, he's watching and scrutinizing every granule of your life, waiting for a place he just wants to pour. If it wasn't for Jesus, Cindy, I'd get you. Now, I know I'm, I'm being obviously facetious on that, obviously to make my point, right? And so we have there, and I think the church has lived there for so long. I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm wrong, and you've never, you know, some people who've been in church for a number of years, do, were, you, were you held over hell with Jonathan Edward and sins in the sinners in the hands of an angry God? You were. Yeah. And be in hell again. <laughs> See, mm -hmm. me too, me too. Yeah, love the Baptist. <clears throat> uh huh. Right. And so I want to I finish this real quick, okay? So I've got wrath over here, 
And we, I think we all have seen that, right? But then, we, then what we held, we held that pendulum over here, right, in the church. Y'all know, right? We held it way over here in the church. And, and, you have, and you have people, and I'm sad to say, this happens all the time. It happens in our church. People who can't get saved. They can't, well, whatever. The same thing happens. Their inner man is still deformed. And when I use the word, I chose the word deformed for you because I want it to be, because it's offensive. I could use transmogrified, but you wouldn't, you'd go, what does that mean? And it's no longer offensive because it didn't create a word picture for you. But when I said deformed, it created a word picture, and I wanted it to do that. And so our inner man is deformed. We're created in the image of God. We were made to be the house of God, to house and hold the Father's love, to have the expression of Abba, people who are connected to him. Do I believe that when a person is once saved, they can be always saved? Absolutely. My salvation is not that slippery. Now that can be. I remember, I'll tell you this, I was raised in the Baptist church. And so you get programmed, you know, with, with Baptist theology, right? And that's good, it's not bad. When I did my first licensing step in the Assemblies of God, I walked in to, and he is my, in that situation, when he got licensed, I'm his spouse. When I got licensed, he's my spouse, right? And so he's in the interview with me as my spouse, and they fill out all the paperwork. They check him out. They vet him and they vet me. But they're vetting me as the licensing candidate. And they're vetting him as my spouse. So I'm in the meeting with all the, you know, having me, you know, checking me. They're passing me under the rod, as it were. And I'm in there. And we're talking. They do the interview. They, co they go over a few points of theology, you know. Check, check. Pretty sound on all that. Pretty sound, I say. <laughs> I'm passing. I'm doing good. And so my, they turned to him and I said, well, sir, do you have any questions, anything you would like to add, you know, to him being my spouse? You know what he said? He said, well, guys, you might want to quiz her on her once saved, always saved theology. <laughs> I don't think she thinks you can lose your salvation. I wanted to kill him. <laughs> Why would he do something so mean? Because he's mean. I know, I did. I just turned to, and they went, you should have seen their faces. They went, <gasps> I mean, nearly, yeah. And so you're wondering how I got out of that, aren't you? Well, I'm a quick talker, as y'all know. I said, I don't believe you can lose your salvation. And they went, I said, I believe you can lose your sunglasses. And I believe you can lose your car keys. And I believe you can lose your purse, as I'm a testament to, on a weekly basis. And I believe you can lose your coat and your scarf and a hat. But I do not believe you can lose your salvation. I believe you're an active participant in the neglect that is required to completely abandon and divorce it. And that's what I told them. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. Yes. Uh huh. I 
Absolutely. And his his love is powerful enough. We have to we have to com- we have to quit anchoring our salvation in our ability to love him. But our ability to get up is not the testimony to our righteousness. It is the testimony to his righteousness in me. Ah. See, it's little bitty, it's little bitty placement like that that means everything. It's like the roulette wheel, you know, red 17 wins, red 16 loses. And they're, I think they're real close to each other, right? I don't know. <laughs> Some of you gamblers can, can get me right on that in a minute. That's how I know. Anyway, so as we look at that, so this is, my, this is, this is my, my deep thinking this morning, is that we have wrath on this side, and then we did. We go, to, we go to the libertine. We have legalism. Then we move to libertine, and that's no freedom. There's no freedom over there. I looked over here. There's no freedom over there either. I look over here, and I say, you're deformed on the inside. And I looked over here and I said, you're equally deformed on the inside. And anywhere in that, anywhere in the deformed spectrum, what are you going to be? I'm right, some people say, we've got to get right in the middle. Yeah, I want to be, I want to be deformed in an average way. <laughs> you see what I'm saying? So what I have decided to do is just to step off of that spectrum entirely. And you're like, well, yeah. I am in the place where I let his love strengthen me in my inner man and identify me as who I am and create in me the heart that he has designed me to have that will beat with every palpitation. I love him. Abba, Father. So he's not a God I'm trying to please. He's a God who is, he's my father who is already well pleased. Yes. Uh, thank you. I wasn't even going to get to it. I didn't think, but I wanted it read. That's it. It's already done. The wrath has already been there. I hope I've done enough. That's how you can check your own heart. If you have any fear in your heart right now, standing before God, then there's a requirement in there. It's not there. It's not complete. Me too. Me too. That he. Yes. It's not. It's active and current. Abs- I, I agree with you there. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. And you're constantly. Absolutely. In the process. 
because it's and it's him doing the work in us now i've read this scripture to you so many times first of thessalonians 5 and 23 now may the god of peace sanctify you sanctify means set apart sanctify you holy not h-o-l that's not that it's sanctifies that word holy w-h-o-l-o-y the all of you sanctify you wholly or completely and may your whole spirit whole soul and whole body I had a hole in front of all those. Be sound and blameless at the coming of the Lord Jesus. He who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. Now, <clears throat> I was saved when I was 11 in the Baptist church. I've told, if you've heard my story, you know I was the first one saved in my household, or I thought, as a generation lost. My great-grandfather was a church of God revivalist, evangelist preacher. But then there was a generation that rose up who did not know the things of God. You know, it's the story over and over again, isn't it? No news. It's the same song, different verse. And so I then became the first person to be saved in my household at 11 years old. I got saved in a Baptist church. I had an extraordinary meeting with the Lord. I had no knowledge of how people were saved, but when I got saved, I had knowledge of a God who I did not know existed prior to that, and I could instantly hear his voice. I think that's how it's supposed to be for everybody. I don't think that was unique. I think that was common. And I think children are way more apt to accomplish such things as us dumb adults, right? And so then I, I, I grew up in the church, Baptist church, and my dad got miraculously saved, drug addict, alcoholic. He beat my mother up on a regular basis. I was raised in a violent home. He would come in drunk and shoot the house up. I don't have a love for guns. Sorry, not that I don't think you should have one, just I don't want one, right? You know, if a gun comes out, I get nervous. That makes sense? Guns came out when my dad was drunk, and they went off willy-nilly. And so we... I grew up in this household, violence and turmoil and all these things. And so then I just felt like one little candle in the darkness, you know. I, I hid and read my Bible because you're subject to being made fun of. And so then my grandmother started taking me to church and my dad got extraordinarily saved. I mean like totally Damascus Road. My dad was a notorious drug addict, a notorious figure in our community, was he not? Our last name was synonymous. You know, how many of you grew up in small towns? And there's that name that you can, we were that name. People didn't come to my house and spend the night because parents were responsible. You didn't send them to the bookers. And so that's who we were. That's just how it was, right? When you, the first thing that was told, what they said, well, I, I got a girl I want you to meet, but her, but she's, her last name is, he went, the, yeah, them. And so he took a chance, right? He wasn't no better. So here, and so, you know, so I, I started going out with the hellion, you know, here he is over here. And and you're like, did you stay straight and narrow? Well, Lord, no. I was dating a hellion, right? And so then I, I moved. I started, you know, I'm still going to church. I take him to Assembly of God Church. We go to church. We do, you know, and then we get married and we kind of fall out of church. And you know the story. It's a boring one. Y'all all know it, right? And so then, and so I finally come back to the Lord. And then, um, you know, I've always said it's a good thing that we started going to the Assembly of God Church or you'd be a Baptist preacher, you know. I've teased him about that many years. And then... I said, you know, if I hadn't got saved, you wouldn't be saved. I've come to the realization that the Lord wanted to bait a trap for a Mike Sanders. You know what you bait a trap with a Mike Sanders with? 
and Andrea. That's it. And so I got saved, and I said, I'm going. I'm going back to church. And I will tell you, wives, I don't know if there's any of you in here. You don't have a husband that serves the Lord. All you need is you and God, and he will come down. If you, if you know how to stand. I, I mean, I just said, no, you're not drinking anymore. Why? Because I said, and God's on my side. If you've got a problem, take it to him. Who won in that battle? Me and God against you. Who won? I think y'all know, right? And the rest of the So Mike and I have had this conversation many, many times. He's like, Andrea, if you would have died in your sin during that time, you'd have gone to hell. I said, you can't prove it. This, what, this, this is our, these are our arguments all the time. This is what we argue about, right? And what do I say? I say, I believe in the strength of salvation, I said, I didn't lose that 11-year-old experience. I couldn't lose it. Come on. I'd have to have amnesia to lose it. He said, well, you can't prove to me that you, when you were away from God, that if you had died, you'd have gone to hell. I said, you can't prove that I wouldn't have. And so this is how we do. I know there's no answer to this. We still know because we can still talk about this. You know what I always get him with? I said, I believe in the strength of salvation. He said, how so? I said, because I'm here now. And so this is how we, this is how we talk. And this is, so I would not dare advise you to walk away from the grace of God and to live in those places of questioning. Don't misunderstand this. But what I would encourage you to understand is that the strength of the hand of God is a mighty strength, and it's not one you want to flirt with. I listened to the Simpsons here, y'all's testimony about being in the house and out of the house of God and falling away and coming back. Would you say the house of, that the strength of God is power? Where, where are you at now? See, that's, that's what I'm talking about. I am not underestimating the strength of God that is displayed best where? In his love. A love that is so passionate toward his children that he will come after you. I believe that God wants to save the lost and he is not precious about his precious blood, if you know what I mean. He, it is ubiquitous. He wants to extend it to the least, the last, and the lost. And those that you think are not deserving of the blood of Jesus, I believe that God is going to fill a church with people who are so down and out, and they are going to set on the, the teeth of the religious community on edge for how passionately they love the Lord. Ah, I want it. And I hope it offends the hell out of you. See what I mean? I get so sick of all the conspiracy theories and all the, that's the devil and that's the devil and trying to find the devil in every daggum thing in the house of God. We know how to glorify the devil. If we could worship the Lord as strong as we do the devil, we would be a fearsome thing in the house of God. We are so concerned about this one and that one. What spirit? What are they doing? What are they? All that is is phony baloney spirituality. You see what I'm saying? God's bigger than that. Bring the witches in. Bring the warlocks in. Bring the whores in. 
Bring the prostitutes in. Bring them in. I be- Jesus, I believe your blood is big enough to set them free. If he can't love us enough to pull us from our sin, then his love is defunct. And if it requires some baseless, I'm, this living, what you're talking about, Deborah, in this place of vulgarity and calling it godliness, no one's falling for that. Drunkenness on the weekend, hangover in church on Sunday, wake up. You won't find me endorsing that. Living in adult adultery and acting like it's okay with a cool God because Jesus cooled him down. You won't find me propagating that. But what you will find me telling the adulterer and the fornicator and the liar and the thief and those that shed innocent blood and those that sow discord among the brethren, what you will find me telling them is there is a love that can so impregnate your deformed heart that it will turn that deformity into a heart of flesh whereby it loves the Father. And you can be identified through his love, not through some religious lens that has taught you to walk right, talk right, chew your gum right, dress right, behave right because God will lower the boom on you. Or you've been taught that you can do whatever you want to, that it's loosey-goosey and grace covers it all. That's not grace at all. My dad got saved. He quit beating up my mom. What good would a salvation be that didn't cause him to quit blacking my mother's eyes? He got a job. He repaired the house. I've never been confused about what salvation brings. I've seen it firsthand. And I'm tired of a so-called salvation that brings people to an altar on Sunday morning and you can't find them again for six more months. That's not salvation. There's no love in that. If I came to Mike and married him and then didn't show up again for three or four more years and called that love, none of you would think that we were in some sort of a love relationship. You would think that's ridiculous, but you try to pawn off your spirituality as such. Am I making sense? What about passion? I want to see you passionately love the Lord. I want to see you say, come hell or high water, I will be. I'm a lover of Jesus Christ, and I will be in fellowship with the Father, and his love will form my inner man, and I will identify myself as he identifies me, and nobody else will identify me other than his great love. Ah, I want to live this way, but this is a maturing process. Wait, I'm just going to read this. Where am I at? I've gone all over the place. How many of you have ever heard this chapter? If I speak in tongues of men and angels but do not have love, I have become a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. Anybody ever heard this? Yeah, it's kind of common, isn't it? Even heathens read it at their wedding. You know it. You've been there, right? They're fixing to 
and go get so plastered after they tap the keg after the preacher does his thing, but they'll still read this like it's got some sort of a, it's some talisman that you can shake over their wedding and it'll somehow make their nuptials perfected. Now, I mean, we've done the worst weddings in the world, haven't we? And they've been both of our families. He married a cousin one time, and by the time she was so late, I mean, how, what, how many brides are an hour late for their wedding? Hour and a half, sorry. We're waiting. Well, if you, if you have a bunch of drunks, and the bride doesn't show up for an hour and a half, what are, the, what are they going to do already? They're going to tap the keg. So the groomsmen are so, getting so drunk. The groom and the groomsmen are getting so drunk by this. Mike had to go to him, and he said, if you drink one more beer, I will leave this place, and there won't be a wedding. He said, I am not marrying a drunk groom. You're entering into vows. Did you not? He was like, yes, sir. My nephew's wedding. Oh, my gosh. Open bar. The bartender is filling drinks during the service. He is, Mike has got, I've never heard more scripture in a wedding service in my life. I know you did it on purpose, didn't you? It was, he, just, he just preached about the love of Jesus and the bride of Christ the entire time. And the more he quotes scriptures, the bartender is so mad. He's over there filling cups and rattling them. And, and he's over there, I'm sitting right by the bar. And he's over there muttering, I wish this guy would shut up. This is my family's wedding. I mean, so I'm sure you probably snuck Corinthians in there too, didn't you? So here it is. If I speak with tongues of men and angels and have not love, that word there, love, is agape. Do you all know what agape is? Who is God's love? Who owns that love? Who can, what, the, in Romans 5 and 5, the love of God that shed abroad in your heart by the Holy Ghost, do you know what kind of love that is? It's agape. Who is the only, only owner of agape? Who can distribute it? The Holy Spirit. Only God can distribute it. He can distribute it in your inner man. Now, I want you to think for a minute this. This is how God loves you. If it's his love, it's the only love he has access to. Are we good with that? He doesn't have, like, I have love for Dolores, and I have love for Sherry, and I have, love, and I have these different loves. This is God's love for you. If I have the gift of prophecy, so he's going... I'm going to go into four. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy. It does not brag. It is not puffed up. It does not behave inappropriately. It does not seek its own way. It is not provoked. It keeps no account of wrong. It does not rejoice over injustice, but rejoices in truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, it endures all things. Love never fails. As we look at that, we see that that's God. That's a description, an apt description of who God is. And that he begins to shed that love abroad in our heart. There's a scripture, I think it's in Ezekiel, that says, Oh, that men had a heart to praise me. With our deformed hearts, we could never actually honor God and love him. But we live under a new covenant, right? He says, the days are coming when I will take out what? What's going to be taken out? The stony heart of flesh. And what's he going to put in? A new heart. And what's going to be written on the new heart? 
his commandments. He's going to write his commands on our hearts. So what is that? what's that a picture of? What's that a picture of? It's a picture of Christ, but if you have his commandments written on your heart, what has he just accomplished? He's taken religious performance from an outside-in approach, and he has put desire. Well, when it's, I don't look at the Ten Commandments and go, oh, those were rough. Hope I hadn't messed up on any of them. Well, now the Ten Commandments have been, they've been shoved in my heart. And so when I, as an 11-year-old child, it happened. It happens with children. It happens with adults. When I took that pastor's hand when I was 11 years old, and he said, repeat after me. And I repeated the prayer that's been repeated a million upon millions of times. But when I closed my eyes and I repeated the prayer, it was more than words. It was faith reached up into the heavenlies. And at that moment, I had the sensation, I've told you, that he and I both floated to the very top of that Baptist church, which the ceiling was about as high as this. I had my eyes closed, and it was the most wonderful feeling I had ever experienced. And I was so, I thought, oh my goodness, is everybody watching us levitate? That's what I thought. And I had my, and, I, and when he said amen, I thought, my thought was I have to open my eyes and I'm going to be at the top of the building. And I opened my eyes and I looked down and my feet were on the ground and I looked at him like he didn't have a clue. I looked at him and I looked at my feet and I looked at him. And I was like, we didn't leave? And in that moment, the love of God shoved a heart of flesh in me. And as an 11-year-old child... I was a different person who has never been the same again. I'm not special. I have done what so many people have done and what it is the will of God. For it. Maybe you don't have an experience like that. I mourn you. Because God has reprogrammed my insides. Now, what, what do I have to do from there? Grow. I have a new nature. What do I have to do with a new nature? Nurture it. But you know what? That wasn't hard either, Dolores. As an 11-year-old child, I wanted to read the Bible. I would hide and read the Bible. Why? Because I had found the love of a father. And his love began to identify who I was. I'm not Andrea Booker, girl born on the wrong side of the tracks, predisposed to alcoholism and drug addiction and multiple marriages and adultery. I'm not that person. I am Andrea Christ, who now take on his nature, and he begins to shape who I am. I have a new identity. I live from that identity. I'm not, I don't get up every day and hope I don't displease him. I have no desire to displease him. My prayer every day is, oh, God, take your word and weave it into all that I am. Why? So I can satisfy him through some religious performance? Or I can test his grace by living like a devil? 
No, because I love him. It's what I've been talking about to you about bridal identification. I love him. And that love is the unction to serve. And it's not my love. I didn't have ownership of this love. He gave me his love and that love began to transform me from the inside out. I don't think about what you think about me or what you don't think about me or what you do think about me. I don't know what you think about me. I think about what he thinks about me. Does this make sense? This is not religion. This is relationship forged in love. I serve him not because I want to miss hell. I don't fear death. I don't want to die, but I don't fear death. Even there, I know he'll hold me. Does this make sense to you? I, I want you, if you could nurture this type. I didn't, I, didn't have all the, I didn't have the aggregate of this when I was 11. I'm not 11 now. I'll be 50 this year. And look what the Lord has done. If he can bring me to fullness, and I'm still searching after fullness, he can bring you to fullness. And if you believe that his grace is not strong enough to reach that one that you're thinking of right now, you're a fool. I don't say that to offend you. When I was around 12, the pastor at our Baptist church preached on sending away your day of grace. Isn't that weird? I remember that. It was so strong about people who one day they would send away their day of grace and they would never have the opportunity again to come to Christ because they would send away their day of grace. I remember it so well. It was on a Sunday night. And I sat there and I listened to his words and my heart started beating and I said, that's my dad. And it was so strong. I got up and you had to go to the back of the, the there's only one bathroom in the church and you had to leave out and go to the fellowship hall to go to the one bathroom in the church. And I got up and I left out the back door of the church and I walked and I remember walking along the sidewalk going to the fellowship hall and I was taking my fingers and I was running them along the sharp holly bushes. Isn't it funny how memories just stay with you? And the prickling of the holly bushes. And I was praying and I said, God, I know my dad cannot be saved. And I went to and I came back and that was done. It wasn't probably two months later they had ripped the carpet off of that Baptist church pulpit tore the boards out because there was a baptistry under there and my dad was standing in those baptismal waters and as I was watching my dad be baptized the Holy Spirit spoke to me he said my grace is far more powerful than men understand there's only been one more time in my life I've dared grace it's when Melissa Cox came into our church at Hot Springs stripper a meth, meth head she had her head shaved because the meth it was horrendous she was so her teeth were gone meth is not kind she was fried 
She was telling me all these weird, paranoid delusions. I'm telling you, when I hear all this conspiracy theories going on, weird, paranoid delusions, I start thinking, that's what it reminds me of. I'm like, the church has become like a bunch of meth heads. I'm sorry. I hear it. I, I was raised in paranoid delusions. And I start seeing these similarities, and I'm like, dear God, do we not know truth anymore? And I, I listened to her. And she had those weird concocted theories about the police were against her and authority and all these things. And I was listening to her. It was just me and her in a room. And she was talking, and it was incomprehensible. I don't know if you know people on meth. It's bad what it does to their brain. And I said, I breathed my prayer. I said, God. I said, Lord, you should have brought her here sooner. That's just how I talked to the Lord. I said, Lord, you should have brought her here sooner. She's too far gone. There's no hope for her. That's what I told the Lord. And instantly, instantly, his spirit said, this is exactly what he told me. He said, you just wait and see what I will do. You know what I did inside? I mean, he, he took me back. I went, this is what I did. I went, inside, this is all going on, and she's over here rattling about who knows what. The cops, and they killed her baby, and I don't know. And, and I'm over here listening to it all, and, I, and just me and the Lord are talking. And I said, I said, okay. I, he said, you just wait and see what I'll do. I said, okay, God, this is going to be all you. I said, but if you could, give me something that she, I can say to her that she will understand. This is what's going on. And I opened my mouth when I got, when I got her to pause on all her hullabaloo. And I said, Missy. I need you to do three things. I said, I don't know what God will do in your life, but I know he can do it. I'm speaking by faith now, right? I don't know what he just told me. I know he can do extraordinary things if you'll give him the opportunity. I said, I need you to do three things. She went, I thought, I didn't even know what I was about to say. I said, I need you to come to this church every time the doors are open. If you've got a hitchhiker, you've got to walk, if you've got a beggar ride, you get here. I said, I need you to read your Bible every day. Every day. And many of you don't read it hardly at all. It's sad. And I said, and I need you to pray every day. And that's another sad posture of the church. I said, can you do those three things? She said, yes, ma'am. I said, okay. And I thought, Lord, if she's serious and you got this, like I think you got this, it's going to work. She has traveled all around and given her testimony. She's been on TV giving her testimony. God so restored her. She married a man in the church. She has ministry. There's no one. I thought she had hepatitis C from intravenous drug use. God healed her. Men's ministry bought her teeth. And she, an extraordinary portrait of the grace of God. When she gave her testimony, it was standing room only. And she sat there and she said, she looked out. It wasn't elegant. Eloquent, I think, would be the right term. She stood up there and she read, it was so raw and so real, the horrific abuse, how she had been locked out of her house as a teenager and forced to sleep on the porch and ride in the back with the dogs because her stepmother abused her and hated her. And you know who was in the service? Her stepmother. And Missy stood up there behind that pulpit and she looked at her. She said, I don't hold anything against you. I love you so much.
You know what that is? That's God's love. She had taken possession of a love that had taken possession of her and had begun to strengthen her in her inner man and formed her into the person that she had become formed by the love of God. A love that forgives people who heinous, heinously abuse them for no reason. I mean, you did, she didn't have to do it. And it wasn't even hard for her. So all I am going to finish with today is this. If you don't know that kind of love, let 2021 be a year where you journey out of religion, you journey out of a libertine lifestyle, and you journey into a true relationship with a father who loves you so radically that he will change you from the inside out. Would you be willing to let the Lord love you so passionately that he loves your enemies through you? Would you be willing to let him love those who have hurt you through you? Only, I'm not telling you you have to do it. You can't do it. That's the point. But if you would yield to that, surrender to that, he would fill you with a love that would blow 